was going to be talking to us tonight about when men hurt. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, we're doing awesome, Seth. Good to see you, PA. That's my new nickname for you. <laughs> <laughs> we already do it, nicknames already, you know. PA, yeah. that's a new PA. one. <laughs> nah, Seth, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. It's, it's, it's an honor, it's a privilege to host you, to hear and to drink from the well of wisdom. So, um, yeah, I want to give you as much time because last time I thought we didn't have enough time, even though we had a lot of time for you to really, you know, just obviously share your heart, share your wisdom, share your insight, you know, you know, the testimony and the story of what, of, mm. of what it means to, when men hurt the downfalls, the pitfalls, and obviously the growth from that as well. So, um, we're going to let you have the floor. We're going to allow you to um, do your thing. And then towards the end, quarter two, we'll come back with Q&A. Man, them, be, be dashing your questions in the comments. Whatever you have in mind, any parts that you want him to dive into a bit more, we'll talk on it on the end. So, sir, the floor is open. Over okay. to you. If, you if, if you're giving me the floor, let me throw a wrinkle in, if you don't mind. Go ahead, uh, sir. Do you mind sticking on with me? Because I, I, I really want to talk as opposed to okay. talking at All the right. camera. Uh, I think I think these kinds of things go better when there's a conversation right. as opposed to a, a speech. No problem. Um, and just by the way, uh, well, not by the way, uh, just to you and to your beautiful wife, you guys, well done on all you're doing for the kingdom. Thank uh, you, I watch in the background. I don't say much online, but I see what you guys do. And we're so proud of you and everything Thank that you're you. doing with a new thing and with the 412 Men Community and Men Monday, Men's Thank Monday. You. So well done. Uh, it's fresh, it's creative, it's real, it's real mandem talk, you know, real thing. And I think it's it's really needed. So we just want you guys to know, my wife and I, that we really love you guys and we're proud of you and we celebrate you and we're looking forward to even more awesome things to come through you guys and to the whole team, Todd and uh, I forgot, I forgot my, the, I forgot his name. Right? He's going to shoot me. Tosun, right? That's his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Todd and Tosun and everybody. Uh, awesome work, guys. So when men hurt, yes. Hmm. So first question is when when do men hurt? Oh, should I say when are men allowed to hurt? Wow, allowed to hurt. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, to that's a good. That's interesting. So 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 let me let me let me turn it around and ask you the question. Uh, I, I when yes. coming up, when not on what we were told, but on what society taught us didactically by experience. Yeah. When when were we allowed to hurt as men? I, I I look back and I feel like the only time I was allowed to hurt was if I've been disrespected and that's it. And even that, I wasn't allowed to show that I was hurt. I had to return fire for fire. Exactly. Apart from that, I weren't allowed to cry. I weren't allowed to to share if somebody made me feel nope. you know it's significant. I wasn't allowed to do any of that. I had to give back what I received times well, two. <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember coming up and you come home from, uh, actually this, this didn't happen to me. This particular incident happened to a neighbor of mine, although I had the same, but the one that I remembered was for my neighbor because it involved me. Mm. Um, so we got into a fight and I kind of beat him up. He was about a year or two younger than me. So, you know, oh, wow. okay. it wasn't like I was some, some street fight or anything. Yeah. And we lived in the same compound, you know, I grew up in Nigeria in Lagos, so we had four families living in one compound, flats oh. stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Think of it like a, like a mini council estate. 
And I'll never forget hearing him cry and go tell his dad, right, that I beat him. Jeez. Now, they called me by my Nigerian name. So uh, the dad said, he said, oh, daddy, Olumi, they beat me. Mm. And the dad said to him, now, this is, a, this is a boy who's about a year and a half younger than me. Mm. We were about, maybe I was about 14, so he was about 12 and a half or whatever. And the father said, Olumi, they beat you and you're coming here and you're crying. So you're coming here crying, telling me that Olumi, they beat you. <laughs> so next time Olumi, they beat you, you beat him back. And the, pom, the guy sent his poor son back to the lion's den. Wow. So literally, he marched the son back out. Yeah. To go and continue the fight. Of course, I beat the poor boy again because I was bigger <laughs> than him. I was older than him. And I'll never forget the look on his face. The first time I beat him, he looked hurt. The second time, he looked defeated. Wow. Because his father had told him hurt he was not allowed to lose. Hurt. Defeated. And <laughs> he thought, in essence, you're a man, you're not allowed to hurt. Yeah. And so, like you said, men, we go through life suppressing pain okay you know and the law of physics says matter is neither created nor destroyed mm. it can only be converted from one form to another yeah. same thing energy is neither created nor destroyed so pain is energy mm. right mm. when when i do something to you it's the energy of what i've done that is converted into pain inside you yeah right that pain's not going to disappear <laughs> The same way electricity doesn't disappear and heat doesn't disappear. It can only be converted. So the question is, what is the pain of the average man being converted into? Wow. The answers can be found in our prison cells. Yeah. They can be found in abusive marriages. Now, let's get this right. I am not justifying abuse. Mm. I am not saying it's okay for a man to lay his hands on a woman yeah. or verbally abuse her or be unfaithful. That's not what I'm saying. Mm. I'm just saying that while we condemn the behavior, mm. if we want to fix it, we need to go beyond the condemnation. That's right. Uh, the average man is carrying... So, you know, if you're 40, hmm. you're carrying four decades usually of unprocessed pain, mm -hmm. unreleased frustration, yeah, uh, and on... I'm looking for a word now. English isn't my first language. <laughs> you're like that. You're like that twelve-year-old kid that I beat, right? And you've gone to the world to say, "Poverty beat me. Mm. Sexual lust beat me. Mm. Demonic attacks beat me. Mm. Low self-esteem beat me. Mm. Failure in school beat me. Mm. And the system that was designed to defend you." That that man should, and I, you know, I, I still know this family. Um, we're still family friends, so we've kept in touch through the years. Every time I travel to Nigeria, I go visit them. We're we're, we're almost like cousins now because we we lived in the same <laughs> apartment block for like twenty years, you know. <laughs> Literally. But in hindsight, now that I'm a father of my own, on my own, that man should have come out and okay. screamed my name and said, "Olumide, where are you?" Wow. And pointed at me and said the next time you touch my son mm. you'll have me to contend with wow but all all he said was you can beat him as much as you want yeah you know and, and that that's what the average man is going going through also we are we're, we're competing with each other 
Okay. You know, I was talking about this uh, on on Saturday. We had a men um, a monthly men's gathering. Uh, we had it just this past Saturday. You can probably see the the banner on my computer in the back. It, it yes. says "Voice the Men Things We Learned Along the Way." Mm. And so I was talking to four guys from our men's community. Uh, you know, we're trying to be like you guys when we grow up. <laughs> and one of these we're talking about is the average man is wired to be competitive. Yeah. And about you, but growing up for me and even till now, everything was a competition. Mm. Right? If if I'm in the sauna and I'm 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 hot and you're hot, I'm not leaving till you get out first. That's the kind of person I am, right? Uh, I used to be the guy who you drive up to, you know, at the at the red light, and I look light. at you, you know, like <laughs> yeah, you know. so. Everything to me, I, I I mean, I I don't know how not to compete. Yeah, you know, we bought my sons uh, their first uh, console game past December, you know, yeah. so they got them an Xbox for for Christmas, and and every now and again I play with them, and I never let them win. I'm just being honest. I wow, never, never. We play Kai. FIFA, we play Madden, you know. If they win, it means they won. Oh wow! Because they're very good, but I can't say, "Oh, I let them win." No, no, no. I'm playing full bore, <laughs> and and most men are like that. Yeah. And we're also taught, you know. I went to boarding house. I don't know about anybody else here, and you know, in boarding house, uh, we we measure stuff. We measure height, and mm. I'm trying gonna keep this non-vulgar. We measure body parts. Okay. You got a hundred boys in the same dormitory, and we all use in the bathroom twenty or thirty at a time. And so everybody's comparing everything with everybody else, the size mm. of your chest, you know, how big your biceps are, yeah. you know, how big certain appendages, let's keep it kosher, are. Yeah. And you carry that into life. Life becomes a, a body part measuring contest. Mm. So the older we get, we start measuring bank accounts. We start measuring how fine the girl on our arm is. When we get into ministry, we measure the size of church. When we in business, we measure our turnover. We measure our social media, everything for men without the grace of God having dealt with our personality is a measuring contest. And so how do I tell the guy hmm. who I am subconsciously in competition with hmm. that I'm hurting? Hmm. So I, for instance, if I'm comparing my business with you yeah, and then I go through and I lose my, or my, or my finance with you and I lose my job because of COVID, and you are the covenant relationship that God has ordained for me to come to and say, bro, I'm hurting. You know, I, I, I'm I going through a rough spot right now. Or my wife and I are having a bit of an issue, but I'm comparing marriages with you. Mm. And you're the guy I should be coming to say, bro, pray for me, man. I'm worried we may not make it. Or mm. or, or like I found out with a couple of my friends where, uh, and let's not even go there. I want to go into anything personal, but I'm not mentioning your name. So let's assume... Uh, a child is going through a difficulty. Like my first son didn't speak till he was four and a half years old. Mm. If we're comparing children, <laughs> right? How do I come to you to say, bro, please pray for me. My son's not talking. We're worried. Yeah. And so we've been told by the world, be a man. What should protect us has sent us back to get beaten again. And then all we have really is each other. Well, we can't even be real with each other because we're competing with each other and we are measuring everything with each other. And so right. by the time that, that man gets to, and I, I, I did a study about this five years ago. Yeah. That 35 to 50 is when the average man breaks down. Wow. And it's usually between 40 and 45. 
because all this negative energy that's not been able to be released over decades finally gets to a head and the system crashes you know and the man just wakes up one day and does out of character foolish stuff Mm. You know, he just wakes up and just leaves home and abandons a wife and children. He he runs away with the secretary and wrecks a ministry. He yeah. uh, he 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 embezzles business money and tax evade so he can buy himself a Mercedes. Uh, we call it a midlife crisis. Yeah. It's not a midlife crisis. It's a full life crisis <laughs> that came to a head in midlife. Yeah, he gets to a point where he's tired of reading from a script tired of trying to measure up to everybody else's opinion or expectation. He's tired of having to constantly be on like a computer that you never put off. It gets slow. Mm. If you never turn your laptop off after a month or so, it'll start becoming slow and eventually it will crash. Mm. We have men crashing today. Yeah. And then to end this soliloquy of mine, when we crash, rather than diagnostics, we get criticism. <sighs> Nobody says, why did this guy crash? Mm. What happened along the way? Yeah. All we get is demonization and vilification. Mm. And eventually, that man says, well, when I was dying, you guys weren't here. Yeah. And I crashed, you killed me too. Mm. So we pseudo heal. We heal to become functional. Mm. We don't fully heal on the inside, yeah. but we heal enough to function and then we become bitter, prickly, empty, emotional shells. Yeah. We call this the cave. We say the man has gone into his cave. Mm. Now I understand while growing up, most of the men I knew above 50 hardly ever spoke. Hmm. Think about it. Most yeah, of the yeah. older men we grew up around. I'm processing everything you're saying. I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, so ideally... What does it look like from the age of you being to the age of that guy that you beat being 12 to now, let's say 13? What does it look like the progression and the process of, of, of being a man where you're saying the father should have came out and warned you rather than send him back out? Because I can't lie to you. In my perspective, in my mind, I would have probably told my son the same thing. I would be like, <laughs> somebody hits you, you hit them back. So I'm, and my mindset behind that is more like, it's just a survival sort of mother of like, look, I'm not always going to be here for you to call me. You need to mm. learn how to do it yourself. So I'm trying to see, what, where is the, um, sorry, sorry to backtrack to, to that part. No, 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 no. This, is, is, the, this is what I was looking, I was hoping for when I actually just stay on. <laughs> where is the, how do we trace the steps between that boy becoming a man where he can stand on his own two feet or should he have mm. to do that? Or like, you know, how, how do we relieve that situation? Where do where do we stay silent and let him learn? I'm glad I'm glad you asked the question. Okay, good. <laughs> because I've been chewing on this for seven years since I since my first son was born. Okay. You drive, right? Yeah, yeah, I drive. You have a license, right? Yeah, yeah. 12 How years do you get now. your license? Uh, driving driving lessons. And then driving test driving test, of course. Did the instructor just say, Well, you're a man, figure it out? Oh, I man. won't always be around to drive you. So there you go. Not at all. No, there's, there's, you know, for instance, let's look at the leadership style of Jesus, right? Bear in mind, most of Jesus' disciples were young. Peter was the only one who was probably older than him, okay. at least that we have a record of. We yeah. know James and John were young enough for their mom to be responsible for them. Okay. History puts them at 17 and 19 when they came to Jesus. Okay. So 
except for Peter and theologians argue about Matthew. Okay. We know that all the other disciples were between the ages of 17 and 30. Yeah. So he was dealing with young men. They weren't kids, but they were young men. Yeah. And we have something. I, I read a book uh, about 17 years ago that talked about a leadership square that I've never forgotten. Now, I've modified the book. It was written by a man called Mike Breen. He led a church in Sheffield where I was a, a youth minister at the time. I've yeah. modified it slightly. So this is my version of Mike Green's leadership rectangle. Yeah. Side one is I do, you watch. I do, you watch. Side okay. two is I do, you assist. Yeah. Side three is you do, I assist. Mm. Side four is you do, I watch. Mm. And then you're ready. Mm. Okay. You look at the life of Jesus with his disciples. The first season of ministry he did and they marveled hmm. then he calls 12 and then 70 sorry and then he anoints them and gives them power hmm. uh, and actually so, he, so first of all he does they watch then he does and they assist mm -hmm. it says they brought the people to him yeah and he healed them hmm. then he sent them in his name yeah. But he, he tells us, while you were there on the battlefield, I was praying for you here. That's why I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm. And then when he leaves, he says, it's better that I go, that a comforter can come. Greater works than I do, you do. The average man doesn't get this benefit. Okay. And to some degree, the ladies do. I'm not saying it's not hard being a woman. Ladies, please don't. It's hard being. A, I, I get that. But, yeah. but it's, and we're talking about men here. Yeah. The average daughter is coddled if she has good parents. Okay. In fact, to a fault, they almost have the exact opposite problem. Hmm. Let's protect them. Let's protect them. Let's protect them. But oh, yeah. the guy, oh, he can, you know, it's like, it's like 300. We'll send the Spartan out with a spear into the forest. And if he comes back after 40 days and he's a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that boy was taught to hunt. Hmm. He went on hunting trips with his dad. Mm. He saw the dad wrestle bears. and Does that make sense? So by the yeah. time you were sending him out to that forest, it wasn't the first time you'd put a spear in his hand. No. But we do that to our boys. No. On everything. Let's take sex education, for instance. The average woman is a sexpert by the time she's 18, even she's a virgin. Let me explain what I mean. Mm. She's been told... All men want, finish it for me. One thing, right? One thing. Right? Okay. And it's not to hug you. It's not to, you know. I don't want the goodies, right? Exactly. <laughs> She's been told, what are you wearing? Go back in the house. Yeah. So over time, she has indirectly been taught her body is a weapon. Yeah. That's powerful. Right? Yeah. Because we don't realize that. That's what we're teaching her. Yeah, we think we're teaching her to be moral and pure. Yeah, but what we're indirectly teaching her, if God doesn't balance out the training, yeah. is I was born with a weapon. Yeah, this weapon has this effect on the average man, and as she grows, God help the men around her if the devil gets to her before God does. Yeah, Real because talk. she knows how to use that weapon. Yeah, that girl grows up in the same house as a young man who's been told nothing about the weapons he's about to come face. Hmm. 
And so we this this mentality of be a man mm. is irresponsible because I can't be a man if you don't equip me okay. with what it takes to be a man. And that involves you sitting in the car with me, pressing the pedals on your side if I make a mistake, until you come to the conclusion I'm ready for my test. So then, essentially, with that... Um synopsis that you've given us there then i will say then there's a level of ownership then on on the on the fathers and raising the sons and then if we're seeing a continual cycle of this issue of being a man not being done properly then then okay i share the grace and go home (laughs) but but and and that's what the enemy has fought over the last hundred years the institution Hmm. of fatherhood Malachi 4 says to us that when Elijah comes, yeah. meaning the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of revival, yeah. he says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse. Okay. In essence, whenever there is transgenerational disconnect between fatherhood and sonship, yeah. it is a sign there is a curse working. Okay. It works spiritually. It works biologically. Okay. In Hebrew culture, by the time a boy was about five or six, his father would literally collect him from his mom. Yeah. God, when, when my son was five, God said to me, you have 13 years to raise a man. Actually, no, that's not what he said. He said, you have 13 years to raise an adult. Are you listening? Yeah. You have seven years to raise a man. i like, that doesn't make sense. He said, well, Hebrew culture, you're a man at 12. Yeah. Bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah. And they had a curriculum to make you a man. There was an intentional process. It wasn't just by the seat of their pants. There was a tried and tested curriculum. Certain things you had to have done, seen, been exposed to all with your dad. Your dad would take you to the family business. He would send you on errands to run a business for him while following you at close quarters. Does that make sense? Yeah. He would, he would, there was an impartation that went on. So by the time they pronounced you at 13, a man, mm-hmm. and also you had to be able to quote the Torah, certain parts of the Torah. So yeah. there was a spiritual component, a biological component, and a psychological component that went into your training. Wow. Dense. Hmm. And you would see your father cry. Because the Hebrew culture was very emotional. Mm. Read your Bible. Every time something happened, the men would tear their clothes, shave their beards, and cry. Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> they saw an idol, they'd cry. You know, yeah. so, so, so emotion was a part of the culture. Wow. And so that boy at 13 had been exposed to a full gamut of emotions. He'd learned to exercise his self-consciousness. Mm. He wasn't just being fed to the wolves. Like the average man is. Yeah. Hmm. Little things like teaching your son how to shave. You know, little things like teaching him how to change a tire. It's not the lesson about the shaving that's important. It's the conferring of manhood. Manhood has to be conferred. It can't be attained. That's good. An existing man has to affirm you for you to feel like a man and and you you can argue people can argue about this the truth of the matter is the vast majority of stupid behavior in grown men is looking for affirmation 
because no one said to you, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Come on. And That's so you're cool. going through life trying to impress either a woman or society or your boss or your pastor or whatever it is. You're, you're doing things because you need that affirmation mm -hmm. that was designed to come from a covenant covering, a.k.a. biological fathering position. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why men hurt. We, we're, we start out life with that hole. Nobody affirms me. No one has told me. No one gave me my license. So when, when we give you a license, you, I'm, I can drive. Yeah. I have my license. And what do we all do? We take pictures and we mm. put it on. Oh, the newest driver. You know, when you graduate from school, there's a public ceremony. Mm. The average man never had that. Never enough, yeah. There was never a public ceremony in which anyone or any system affirmed you publicly hmm. and made you feel like I have what it takes. Yeah. And so you so you, you start out life with that that wound first and then trying to solve the problem you create bigger problems and wound yourself even further. Yeah. And like I said by the time that 13 year old gets to 50 he's like I don't care anymore. Hmm. You said so much there cuz if we're going to be introspective now and look to ourselves. I'm, 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 I'm seeing that the journey that I'm on right now has been um, a journey of self, of, of me discovering by myself what it means to be a man. And I, and, I, and I look back to my greatest moments of pain, which may have been my first breakup with a girl and then a couple of years ago when my I hope, I hope your wife is not in the room when you said that. <laughs> she was the culprit, actually, mate. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just pulling your legs. I'm just pulling your legs. Yeah, literally. And and then obviously the second moment was finding out that my um my previous previous pastor was was doing um was committing certain things behind closed doors with other ministers and and seeing the relation between not being properly initiated and how to relate with a female probably contributed to my experience of pain there to a degree. Uh, and then also experiencing finding somebody that I looked up to and saw as a father now coming to extreme moral failure and just seeing how something that I thought I was called to, believed in, someone that I loved, all of it fall before my eyes and now become despondent and now being a place where it entered me into a crisis in my faith is like, wow, I'm seeing how even at the source of my pain came from a lack of fathering or like authentic fathering, should I say, or authentic, you know, um, yeah, fathering. And it's just like, it's like basically where, oh, I'm trying to find words. It's like, it's like we're in a whirlwind whereby it can, the only way it's going to stop is when a man steps into the picture and fulfills the totality of being a role of a father in the lives of men. And I think even amongst ourselves, where we spoke about, we spoke about girls two months ago, and a lot of us realized that, like you said, you know, we were taught and discipled not by a man, but our TV screens, our favorite artists. A lot of our introduction to women, it was MTV based, you know what I mean? And so forth and so forth. And then, Thank God for Trevor Nelson. <laughs> I'm dating chart. myself now, right? <laughs> the, 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 the lick chart, yeah. <laughs> On Sundays, wow! Oh gosh, yep. flashbacks. Literally, and 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 it's it almost as a because the example you gave here was that 
Jesus had a model of discipleship, essentially, that he didn't just call them and send them. He, he modeled behavior and told them to follow him and I will make you, you know, fisher men. And it seems as if like, if we're not being taught by men, we're being taught by something or someone or an ideology that's actually causing, you know, perpetrating, should I even say, what we see as manhood today. So for instance, even now, um, one of my main reasons why I started this um, Men's Monday was that about four years ago, a lot of single Christian women were complaining about the, the standard of Christian men. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, that was half the reason why, and half the other reason was I had a burden for men as well. So I thought, you know what, let me just, you know, start this thing. And like four years later, you know, um, I've, if I'm honest with you, I have, I, I probably do um, empathize and connect with the sisters a lot on this matter. I have to deal, I've, I have dealt with a lot of, you know, dilemmas with where men and women relationships where there's been a lot of stuff. And I can't lie, hands down, bro, you know, the men are, have been doing some interesting stuff. Oh yeah, they've been moving I, mad. Moving mad, yeah. That's my next statement. So now, 2020, I was talking to my two sisters on Saturday. Wait, I, I, let, me, let me let me just pause you for a second there. Right, pause me, now, pause me. I think I know who 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 this pastor of yours was. Of course, we're not going to mention his name publicly. Okay, yes, sir. But I I think I suspect I know who he was. Now, let yeah. me ask you a question: The men you were mentoring who were moving mad, yeah, how different was their behavior? On a level from your pastor's failure, not not the specifics. I just mean the generic yeah. failure. How so? so it's a, it's a, yeah, okay, so the men you were mentoring, I'm assuming they were probably in their uh, mid to late twenties, early thirties, right? Yeah. So I, I would say mid twenties, early twenties. Okay. Yeah. And I'm assuming that your pastor at the time of this failure was roughly about early fifties. Yeah, late forties. Yeah. Okay. So. I want you to extrapolate the the mad movements of the young yeah. men you were mentoring yeah. another 30 years. Yeah. Unchecked, unhelped, uncured. Yeah. yeah. Can you see how they end up like that man? Oh, a, a zillion percent. And the poor, man had, the poor man had something working against him. These young men did not. Okay. He was trying to fight his battles in the public domain. Okay. He could not come to an ayah and say, I'm struggling with this because he had to be the man of God. Yeah. It was scary. The gifting was absolutely phenomenal. Oh, yeah. It was so scary. Oh, yeah. Because the gift and callings of God are without repentance. And that's another thing men need to understand. Hmm. Whether it's spiritual or natural, my talent, skills, and ability do not equal my maturity. Yeah. But the world has, see, the same world that told us don't cry, go back and let them beat you again. Yeah. The same world that taught us to compete with the people we should be vulnerable with. That same world also taught us that the moment you have a capacity to accomplish something great, mm -hmm. we judge you by a different standard. Yeah. 100%. And that's what I keep telling see, my brothers, my sons, my mentors, but especially my, my, the people that I mentor. See, mm -hmm. The same people who shout Hosanna on a Sunday will say crucify him on a Thursday. Hear me out. Yes. Do not let anybody clap you into destruction. Talk to us. Sir. Because the moment you start functioning on a level, whether it's as a, as a preacher or an executive at work, there's this natural propensity for people to replace their need for leadership with ability. 
Okay. So you have a generation of men who grew up fatherless. Yes. They he... see you functioning at a level. Ah, that's my daddy. Yeah. So every anointed preacher is daddy. And I was stupid enough to fall for it before. Now, see, if you see my Facebook box, I'm like, I ain't your daddy. <laughs> not, oh, daddy, you don't know me. You don't know me. You heard one sermon, you saw one miracle, you heard okay. one prophetic word that came to pass. They, they, they want your gift. They want, they your... want your gift. Because, oh. exactly, and, and the world starts to put a demand on your gift. Mm. And you feel the sense of responsibility to keep performing. Yeah. So you start leading while you bleed. I've got a question then. Because I've, I, I think I'm in my mind, I'm torn between as men. Because we've got this, you know, we're numbed by this thing called work. <laughs> is, there, is, is it innate or is it taught? Or is it because of sin nature that we're, it's almost as if we have to define ourselves by what we have or what we do? Which one is it? It's all three. Um, God made Adam. Bible says God made Adam and then put him in the garden. People miss that. Adam wasn't made in the garden. Yeah. Adam was made outside a home. He was put in the home. Mm -hmm. Eve was made in the home. Ladies, I just if any woman watches this, I've just saved you. I've saved your marriage. That's why you and your husband are fighting, right? Kai. God had to put Adam in the place of home. Eve was created in the place of home. Go figure. Go figure. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and God's first instruction to him was to work. Okay. So that th there is that component. Yeah. God says, keep it, dress it. Right. Yeah. So God gave him an assignment. So that's part of it. Yeah. But the second part of it is this. There's no void in nature. And this is where the sin nature comes in. Okay. Or the fallen nature comes in. Okay. When you lack identity, you replace identity with function or activity. That's good. That's good. When you lack identity. Hmm. When when you ask, I'll give you an example. If I if I say if I put two men in the room, two two human beings, and I say introduce yourself to each other, what do we start talking about? What we do. What we do. Mm -hmm. In fact, we, we say things, first of all, we say, how do you do? Mm. And what we really mean is, what do you do? Yeah. But we were created to be human beings, not human doings. All right. But again, that place of identity is the job of a father. Okay. Once again, back to fathers. It's the job of a father to help you process every day, either in the morning or sometimes morning and evening. I hug my sons and I say something like, you're the most handsome boy in the world or you're the best son in the world. I'm proud to be your father. Thank you for being my son. Yeah. I say stuff like, I'm your dad. Mm. I claim you. Mm. Now, my wife used to wonder, now she doesn't know. She was like, what are you saying? I said, don't worry. <laughs> their, their, their male spirit gets it. Yeah. So I'm saying to them, outside your identity as a son of God, whom you will find when you're old enough. Yeah. When all else fails, remember that you can fall back on the identity that you're Israel's son. That's good. You know what? You saying that reminds me of the first time I even felt like a son. Mm. And it's when I had graduated from uni and then mm. I had saw my father's response. Not even saw, heard his response. Mm -hmm. It taught me mm -hmm. how much we need to hear 
more than um, even though I had did something, but it was his words that meant something to me that that somehow awakened and affirmed and solidified and was something that I I think I was searched to hear for years, to the point whereby I was like, wow, I'm 22 years old, and this is the first time I felt like I've been able to connect with my dad on a level whereby I feel his affirmation, even though it was based on something that I did do, it, it, he, he, the words he spoke to me is more spoke to me than it spoke to what I had achieved. And it was powerful because his words were like, I'm proud of you. Well done, my son. You know what I mean? And it, and it, and it told me how much healing would be received. That's what every the man, man it, see, the, the, the heart cry of every man is to hear the words Jesus heard. Yeah. This is my beloved son. Mm. In whom, not with. Yeah. In whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. Hm. When we don't hear it yeah. based on in whom, we subconsciously try to get it based on with whom. Yes. Jesus had not done one miracle. Yeah. Not one. Mm. When the father said, this is my... So the father claimed him. Yeah. Then he says, I love you. You're my beloved son. Yeah. And then finally he said, listen to him. Because that's the final desire of every man to be significant. Yeah. So first of all, this is my beloved son. Mm -hmm. Identity belonging. Mm -hmm. In whom I'm well pleased. I bring you pleasure. You approve of me. Mm -hmm. Finally, hear him. Significance mm -hmm. and what's what I'm looking for now? Importance. No, significance is the right word. Significance. Every man is trying to be significant. Mm. I mean something, yeah. We can't control that this is my beloved son. Yeah. We can't control the in him I'm well pleased. Yeah. The closest thing we can control is the significance. Yeah. And so we subconsciously assume that if I can create a voice for myself, if I become important, mm -hmm. I will get your approval. Okay. But it's the approval that really matters. And so we we start trying to do well at school or, or 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 sports or whatever, and that's why. See, I came to the conclusion that the reason why more men than women gravitate towards sports is not because of natural skill or ability; mm. it's because men are more addicted to applause. <laughs> and that's why usually. Most people who do well at a sport have done well at it by the time they are 12 or so. Yeah. It's not that you can get... I mean, we have you have some examples. Michael Jordan didn't make his high, his, his high school basketball team in his, in his first year of trying out. Yeah. He went on to become, at least at his time, the greatest player ever. Yeah. So the reason why there are few late bloomers is men don't like to do what we're not good at. Ladies, hear us. Hear us. Yeah. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me. Men run away from stuff they don't think they're good at. And run. we measure how good we are based on the feedback we get. Yeah. If you keep telling that man he's a bad husband, he's going to run away from being a husband. Mm -hmm. And so we, <laughs> by the time we are 15, 16, 17, 18, we've kind of figured out, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. This is what I get applauded for. This is what I get criticized for. I'm mm. going to stay away from this. I'm going to run towards that. Mm. But all we're really looking for is the... We interpret the applause 
as the identity. We get addicted to it and we start doing everything in our power to get more and more of it. <laughs> so if there is a woman in our life with a ring on her finger we bought who keeps telling us that every time we interact with her, we fail. And there is another woman who doesn't have that ring, but who tells us how amazing we are <laughs> and treats us in a way that we interpret as applause. Mm. Guess which woman we end up with over time. <laughs> the one that spoke to us. <laughs> if we have, and I made this mistake in my early days as a spiritual leader. Mm. If we have a church or a, com a community or a spiritual covering who keeps dealing with our faults and our issues. And then somebody elsewhere, we go and minister in one place there or sing one song. And somebody else tells us how amazing we are. Guess who we gravitate towards? And seductresses, manipulators, yeah. ah. and spiritual abusers have learned that if I give this man enough applause, yes, he will be putty in my hands. Yes. Guys, are you listening? <laughs> it all goes back to there was nobody to say, yeah. I am pleased in you. Yeah. And so I make sure no 24 hours go by without my sons hearing that from me. Yeah. You are important to me. Mm -hmm. I am proud to be your father. And I was saying that to my four and a half year old son when at four and a half years old, he couldn't speak. Mm. And anybody who was going to try and label him as autistic was going to go through me. Mm. I was saying, I, even if you never spoke a word in your life, I told my wife, we are not going to stress him out. I don't want any atmosphere in this house that makes this boy feel like there's something wrong with him. Mm. Because... His identity isn't built on his ability to do something. His identity is built on who he is. And outside his most important identity as a son of God, then he was too, too young to have his own relationship with God. Mm. But while I'm preparing him to meet God, yeah. let me give the best example with me. Yes. All you need to do to be worthy in my eyes is have my DNA. Mm. I didn't have that as a man growing up. The average man didn't have it. Even those of us who grew up with fathers, mm. they didn't have many times the language or the emotional awareness yeah. to impart this because they didn't get it themselves. It themselves yeah. And that's hmm. why the spiral has continued. Hmm. So the question is, well, or the statement shall say, when men hurt, What's the, what's the recovery like? What's the process like in regards to that? Because hmm. I'm sure every man on this live right now <laughs> has, has, has been hurt. And if we're honest, you know, our dysfunction is probably linked to that hurt. You know, we're probably living out some sort of aspect of our lives from that hurt that has not been dealt with. What's the recovery? What's the process? What's the root, you know, in regards to being healed, to becoming whole? What's the bounce back? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, an expert on every man. Oh. I am an expert on this man, meaning mm -hmm. me. And so I'm going to talk about this from the perspective of me. Okay. The most difficult part of the process is admitting you are hurt. <laughs> because again, you're not supposed to hurt. You're supposed to be a big man, right? 
big yeah. man things. You're supposed to be the, you know. So it it we've been told as men that it is demeaning, that it is degrading hmm. to be hurt, and so we will find every excuse under the sun to justify our dysfunction, other than the simple fact that is I'm bleeding. So why? What is it that is fueling? That lack of admittance is it? Is it the whole being naked and being ashamed? It's part of it, but then, like I said, the other part is the competition. If I see, okay, let me give you an example. The competition has has deceived us, boy. <laughs> yeah. So if my son can't speak at four and a half, I'm a bad dad. But you have an 18 month old that is talking, and I come to your house, and your 18 month old says, "Uncle." Yeah. And my four and a half year old can't speak. Subconsciously, it means you're a good dad and I'm a bad dad. Right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you have good genes. You know, in African culture, they say stupid things like that. You know, so you've got good genes. Yeah. You know, or, or, or worse still, I've been yeah. married 10 years, no child. You've been married two, you have twins. You know, so uh, you know, in your language, I my mom, my mom, she, my mom's from your land, your your tribe. Okay. Means you're a real man because you could get a woman pregnant, really. <laughs> but just stupid stuff like that, and so the the or I'll never forget the beginning of my journey of healing from sexual perversion mm. was when I told I was a leader in the church. Mm. There was a man who was a year and a half or year or so older mm. than me, mm. but he was the assistant pastor. Mm. His name is Sam Radford. I'll never forget. Mm. Gifted me. I'm talking about me. Anointed, mm. charismatic, you know, whatever. Mm. But I'm a porn addict mm. and I'm masturbating at least twice a day. Mm. And yes, man, we're going to go there. Yeah. Let's talk the thing. It, it, it. <laughs> It's almost physically impossible to masturbate twice a day consistently, day in, day out for years. I was doing it. Mm -hmm. As in, I don't want, I'm trying not to be vulgar here, but my yeah. body was in pain and I couldn't stop. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, if I tell Sam, I'm finished in this church. Fine. <laughs> And I'm, Lord, deliver me. And God says, go talk to Sam. God forbid. For about two or three months, God kept saying, go talk to Sam. So I go to Sam. <laughs> two, three months. After three months of, you know, I mean, <laughs> preaching church on Sunday, lay hands on people, go home in the evening, lay hands on myself. You get the message, right? I'm getting loud and clear. I go to Sam and I begin my, I begin my speech. Sam, there's something I want to tell you. It's so horrible. It may change the way you look at me. You know, blah, 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 blah. And Sam's just like, oh, please shut up. So he gets a piece of paper and he writes something on the paper and he turns it over. Uh, then everybody calls me OJ. He says, OJ, whatever you're about to tell me, my answer will be what's on this paper. And so wow. I tell him and he sits through my blumbling, my being around the bush. And at some point, he can't handle it anymore. He just he just says, shut up. And he picks up the piece of paper. And on it are written the words, big deal. In essence, nothing deep about this. 
I did not know at the time. This was this this happened 16 years ago. Mm. I had no idea that 70% of all men have struggled with masturbation at some point. That's a statistic. Yeah. 70. 70. Think about that. Here I am feeling like a demon about something that seven out of 10 men share in common with me. Because every man around me in church, in my opinion, was this deep spiritual guy who could never do this. And if I did it, they'd look down on me. Mm. So we, we need to acknowledge that it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be hurt. It's yeah. not okay to stay there. It's not okay to accept it as an eternal perpetual reality. But it's okay to acknowledge there's something, and that's the second part. We're told that there's a problem with having a problem. You're defective. Every time we made a mistake, our loving fathers and mothers told us how disappointed they were in us. See, I've, I've told each of my sons maybe twice in their entire life, I was disappointed with them. Because mm. it's a card you shouldn't play often. Mm. the average man would rather be physically disciplined by his father than told he's a disappointment yeah truth in a sense your mistake has become you you mm. didn't so you didn't do something that disappointed me you disappointed me you are a disappointment you don't measure up to my standard no man wants to look in the mirror not without the grace of god and acknowledge that we are we have a problem mm -hmm. that we're not perfect that we are a disappointment yeah and so we will we will use every word every term in the book every excuse we will project we will be judgmental i've noticed when when you see people who are extremely judgmental they're hiding the floor yeah truth most of the people who we found out had the most horrible personal struggles like your former pastor for an mm -hmm. example Go, go check their messages. Mm -hmm. They're some of the most stuff because you feel better. And it's, I'm not attacking anybody. You feel better about your problem yeah. when you point out other people's problems. Mm -hmm. And when you hear somebody else has fallen or, or, or blown up, it makes you feel better about yourself to say to her, look at how horrible Ayer is. Because if I can keep the attention on Ayer's error and Ayer's blow up, no one's going to look at me. Yeah. So we've got to first acknowledge I have a problem. Yes. And I, I'm looking at the time. How much longer do we have? Because if that's all I say tonight, maybe that's fine. Yeah, we've got like till um, like quarter two. Okay, so about another 15 minutes. Okay, yeah. I can do this in five. Okay. So first of all, acknowledge that I'm broken, I'm hurt. Yeah. Secondly, uh, and I, I teach this uh, in addition to being a preacher, I'm also a, a coach. Something God showed me, and I never heard anybody talk about this till I saw it from Scripture. Okay. Since I saw it, I've heard a couple of people say it, but I found this from the Bible. Mm. Emotions are the language of the soul. And there's a component of your soul that's your subconscious mind. Yes. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, not in his head. Yeah. Your mind talks to you in words. Your, your subconscious, so your conscious mind talks to you in words. Mm -hmm. Your subconscious mind talks to you in emotions. And it's a two-way wow. conversation. Wow. So when you feel something, it's your subconscious mind trying to communicate with you. Wow. If your conscious mind is a laptop, your subconscious mind is a Mac Tower, mm. right? 
Okay. They both have the same operating system, mm. but one is far more powerful than the other. Yeah. Science <laughs> estimates that your subconscious mind is anything between 100 to 10,000 times more powerful than your conscious mind. Mm -hmm. That's why habits are hard to break. Once you get into a habit loop, it means your subconscious mind has taken over the process of response. It's yeah. hard. So you, you're driving from home to work every day, and then one day you're going to your friend's house that's near work, and you forget and end up at work. Because mm. your subconscious mind says, I know this journey, you go into autopilot yeah. and you end up at the wrong place. Yeah. The language of that subconscious mind or your inner soul are emotions. So your soul or your, your subconscious mind, your inner soul talks to you by emotions, but you also talk to it by emotions. Hmm. I used to charge about 150 pounds an hour for what I'm about to give you guys for free. So please write this down. Yes. I still do, to be honest. So write this down. Successful people are taught to engineer emotions of success. Hmm. Visualization, meditation, even mentorship in the secular world is about being around somebody who succeeds long enough for you to know what success feels like because you start to write on your subconscious heart the reality of success. Hmm. And as a man thinks in his heart, his subconscious mind, so he will be out of the heart flow, the issues of life. Well, the average man has had negativity written hmm. on his subconscious mind all his life. Hmm. And so like I was dealing with a client of mine recently and I said, uh, when I told him, I said, oh, this is too hard. I said, take your money and go. They said, oh, I need you. I said, no, you don't want my help because if you're not ready to do this, hmm. it's not going to work. Yeah. We're going to go through your entire life. They're about 35 years old. Nice. We're going to go to your entire life and find every single negative experience you ever had that was traumatic. We're going to trace your issues now back to incidents that happened over the course of your life mm. and ask the question, what did this encounter write on my subconscious? Yeah. We then have to engineer a process to write the opposite Come on. over a period of time. Yeah. Hmm. The presence of God, the anointing, prophetic ministry helps in this process in that when you are under an atmosphere of glory, hmm. it opens up your subconscious mind even yeah. more easily. Hmm. But it still needs to be written. David said, I've written your word on my heart. Yeah. So it's not enough to quote it. It's not enough for me to lay hands on you. Okay. My laying hands on you for deliverance or inner healing should bring you to a place where that inner pain comes to the surface. Mm. And it's what God then says to you in that moment. So if I prophesy to you, it's the words I'm speaking are now writing on your heart as exposed by the presence of God. Right. But if you go back home, back to the same reality for the last 35 years, mm -hmm. that has been written negatively, that man's going to end up in the same place. Mm. So we need heart surgery hmm. Hmm. thirdly yeah you need a tribe of vulnerability a and tri by tribe i mean up sideways and eventually as you grow down you need people with whom you have permission to be a man mm. and flawed you need people to say by their response to your failures, 
This is my beloved son, my beloved brother, my beloved father, in whom I'm well pleased. You can make a mistake. I still love you for you. Mm. Let me let me leave it there for today because I don't want to overcook it. There, there, but those those first three steps are the foundation. The rest we can build on that later, hmm. some point in the future. Yes. Huh. I'm 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 just dissecting what you're saying in my head, literally. That's powerful, guys. This is definitely a needing for us to rewatch over again. You said something powerful there, especially as a subconscious man. And I think even the older I am now and the more familiar I'm coming with the whole art of counseling and even being married and dealing with, with the layers of healing. And then obviously, as you, as you know, being married, being exposed <laughs> and, and then linking it back to the you know previous trauma and to the what the subconscious ayah has soaked up that somehow wife and marriage has become a mirror or a light that mm. now exposes these things and having to really to some degree go through what you're saying processes maybe not knowing what that was then but seeing how you explained it now especially um with the holy spirit being able to now speak words that are actually been etched upon my heart and becoming seals I will say are like words of healing that actually bind the wound through the word of God and through you know the, the um, uh, through the gift of prophecy and seeing how how powerful as you're saying the rewriting not just the hearing of it but allowing what was being said to pierce and to settle into my heart being one of the uh, most powerful you know experience of healing and, and wholeness. And I think um, on that note, I think as men, and everything you said so far, I think there's a need for um, us, you know, to really connect, you know, with genuine, authentic fathers. You know, I think everything you echoed, even for, to us breaking this cycle, has echoed the need for, for mm. what we are seeking to be or being told to be to be modelled and to be initiated. And I, and, I, and I think I read a book, Far By God, by John Eldridge, and he spoke about the same thing. He said that manhood can't be like something that I drop, a mantle dropped on you. It has to be initiated by other men. It, it, manhood has to be conferred in the presence of other men. It, it, there, there's no way that I'm going to capture what it means to be a man without a man. You know, and I think, I think I'm part of the generation of men that have tried to make what we think man is ought to be self-made i think we call it now and you know it's been it's going on for centuries it's, it's been fame. going on for centuries each <laughs> generation just does it in a newly dysfunctional way that's all okay each generation looks at the way the last one did it and says that was wrong i'll do it this way and then we mess it up and then the next generation comes after us it's it, this is the oldest problem in history yeah ask cain and abel <laughs> All God said to Cain, see, God said, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted, meaning yeah. you are rejected. Yeah. And Cain went and killed his brother. Yeah. The first crime in history was as a result of a man feeling rejected. Yeah. So the question then becomes, what, did, what was Adam doing? doing? He was depleted, mate. <laughs> I, I, I find it interesting because when you read that scripture, we see the wife naming the children, not Adam naming the children. Adam was naming everything before the fall. There is not one mention 
of Adam speaking after the fall in the Bible? <sighs> Not one mention of Adam saying a word. <laughs> that's where the fall of that's where the, the fall nature comes in. Yeah. Adam's God image shut down on the other side of the fall. And Satan's greatest accomplishment, hmm. in my opinion, on this side of Calvary, yeah. has been silencing yes. men. Yes. Yes. Men were designed to be God's guard dogs, God's guardians of community, society, families, the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And and ladies, hear me out. Hear me out. See, I am a fem- I am an unapologetic, godly feminist, right? Hmm. My wife would tell you, the ladies in our church and ministry would tell you, I'm a champion of women's rights, women's ability. I I love women and I I live to make sure that they can fulfill their potential. Yeah. But, okay, a chauvinistic man, I don't agree with this, but a chauvinistic man cracked this joke years ago. He said, after the fall of man, uh, Adam stopped speaking and Eve started speaking too much. Now, he meant it negatively. I don't agree with that. Yeah. But I agree with this part. This part. Mm. Satan has found a way to silence the inner male voice. Yeah. Or the godly male voice. Yeah. And it's a condition that has been genetically passed down. Yeah. If I am a damaged man, I'm God forbid, then I damage my son. Then he damages his and he damages his. Yeah. And successively, mm-hmm. we are uh, I'm trying to pick my words carefully here. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna say it anyhow. If I if if, if it comes across wrong, forgive me. I'm just gonna say it. Yes, sir. You're forgiven already. <laughs> the average man has been told the, and I learned this from my son when he was struggling to talk. Now he's a chatterbox. He would get real frustrated and start to scream, unintelligibly. Mm. He would he would literally. You know, I could see the frustration burning up in him because he couldn't express himself. And then he sat to cry. Mm. And I was like, this is manhood in our generation. Mm. This is manhood in the next generation. Mm. You know, I, 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 I am, I am the, I'm, I'm perhaps my age group is perhaps the only generation now, especially in, in ministry where we have both fathers and sons. So my fathers in ministry are still young enough to be in ministry. My sons in ministry are old enough to run ministries of their own. Mm. So it's an interesting place to see. Yeah. I'm in the middle. Mm. And especially men in leadership, mm. we speak by frustrated behavior. Okay. We enunciate our pain by dysfunctional choices. Mm. Things that we regret as soon as we do them or say them. But they're cries for help. They're, 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 our, they're our subconscious way of saying I'm not okay. Yeah, 100%. I don't know how to talk. You told me to shut up. Yeah. You told me to keep quiet. I've been keeping quiet long enough. Boom, it blows up. Okay, yeah. are you happy now? Mm-hmm. And then rather than saying, okay, bro, sit down. What happened? Let's talk. Like I said, we condemn that man. We attack him until the cycle starts again. Yeah. You know, it's deep as well. I've, even look at myself. There are times where when I get to that point of frustration that I go silent. My, 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 wife, calls, my wife calls it soaking, she says. And for me, subconsciously, I feel like I do that because I'm trying to control 
the beast in her <laughs> that wants to respond but has failed articulation of language to express himself properly. So what happens is that I'd rather go silent rather than say something mad and the guy character and ah, man of God, is this what you're saying? <laughs> Literally, so... That silence is the most dainty... I, I told my wife this when we started dating 15 years ago. No, 14 years ago. Mm. No, 15, 15, 15 years ago. I said, baby, I've got a bit of a, you know my natural my humanity i had I, I was i was literally born with a temper god had to heal me of a of a bad temper okay uh but i told her i said hey i may raise my voice i may shout that's cool i said be very afraid when i start whispering okay she didn't understand what it meant till the first day it happened for the first time 4 years into our relationship mm-hmm. and we would not be married today if god didn't intervene because when a man gets to that point about anything, marriage, family, relationship, whatever, what it means here is he has cracked hmm. and he's at a point where he doesn't care about consequences any longer. Hmm. We have a bunch of silent men. So women, if your husband is vexing, venting, be happy. <laughs> when he goes silent. <laughs> Shanda. What that silence means is you've lost the capacity to affect me. Mm. You've pushed me so far mm. that I have withdrawn your capacity. Mm. In essence, to protect me from you hurting me, mm. I've cut your credit card to my emotions. Mm. Your card to my emotions is now declined. Mm. That's the point at which that man becomes, like you said, a beast. Mm. Does that make sense? Uh, and so we, we we need to train a generation of men mm -hmm. to shout yeah. while they can before that silent I call it the silent roar <laughs> when, when we shout and they call us angry and rather <laughs> before that silent roar kicks in because when it does yeah, that's true and you know what's funny yeah even when we grew up even on streets we always said that it's the, the, the most dangerous ones were the quiet ones oh, yeah because the ones that were the loudest to had a mouth. Oh, yeah. The one that you would tick off. They shank you and like nothing happened. They didn't respond to you and he would just come out of the blue and do something mad. And you're like, they just, they just, I mean, they're, they're st I mean I, I, I've watched somebody, this guy just walked up, pulled out a knife, right, in Brixton back in the day. So it was 2001. And, st and the, he didn't run. He, he just stabbed this guy, cool as you like put his hand back in his pocket and walked away. The silent ones. <laughs> and then you find, and then you, you trace that young man's life and you, it's the, it's a, it's a self, you just know you're going to find either sexual abuse at a young age or an absentee. In essence, his, his, his raw was broken. Mm. His manhood had been systematically deconstructed. Mm. Till the point where, I mean, the guy walked away. He didn't run. He knew the cops were coming. He was literally saying, come and get me. I don't care anymore. Now, that physical violence, there are too many men walking around like that emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. They don't I'm, care anymore. Yeah. I'm checked out completely. And so the society that they were trying to impress they have gotten to a point where 
they don't care about that. In essence, when a man seeks affirmation too long without getting it, mm -hmm. he responds by not caring, quote unquote, anymore. Yeah. In essence, I'm going to show you yeah. how little I care about your opinion. Yeah. That's when he's most dangerous. Yeah. Because the norms of societal pressure don't work on him anymore. And, and those, are the, those, are, those are the traits of serial killers. Oh, yeah. Sociopaths. Yeah. And that, they have that. very many sociopathic men in the body of Christ. Hmm. And they're ticking time bombs. Pastors, wives, hear me. We have men in our pews who are ticking time bombs. Hmm. They will blow if we don't defuse those wires very soon. Yes, yes. Wow. We said a lot of things, man. We're gonna answer one one question and we're gonna we're gonna round up. We're definitely looking to um extend this topic where we've actually in, in um November next month we'll, we wanna look at um Black History Month from a um mm. from a black perspective. So we'll, we'll try to demystify the whole where, where's the blacks in the history of Christianity? So we're looking to go all the way from Genesis <laughs> to present day. And, and when you tell a young black boy that mm. his only identity is to a slave ship, how do you expect him to behave? Yeah. Mm. When all you tell him about his history is servitude and violence and and nothing, and you do not you don't remind him. Come on. That the earliest scholars, the earliest universities, the earliest, in essence, when you don't when you don't show him a lineage of significance in his history, yeah. when all he sees is a council estate and a drug dealer on the corner, what yeah. do you expect? Repetition. He's only he's only becoming how far back he can see. And we wonder why we're losing young Christian black men yeah. to the nation of Islam. Okay. And and the excessive, because some of them are not that bad, the excessive factions of the Hebrew Israelites, because these are religions, quote-unquote, that are mm -hmm. not just offering scripture and a deity. They're mm -hmm. offering a sense of value and dignity. Mm -hmm. And even blackness. And even a practicality, sir, as well. Because there's, even when I look at Islam, there's this... There's, there's an action solution, a plan, if I consider that as, as, as basic, of this is how we're going to do it. And I feel, you know, maybe we can do another topic. You know, in Christianity, there's been a, I don't know if I should use that word, feminization, or, or, or way whereby there's, there's a passivity. Emasculation. Emasculation, that's what I should use, sorry. And, and a passivity that's, 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 that's been subconsciously brought to us about how we should just, you know. A good Christian man is a simp. Let's use the word. I, I told you, go and bring me on your on your bro. I'm just, I, I, I don't have a filter anymore. I'm too old to have one now, right? The average guy's perspective of a good Christian man yeah. is a simp. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and I don't mean, I don't mean it in the sexual form. I mean it in the behavior. Yeah, and docile. You know, nice, cute. Yeah, flower. Feminized. Man. You know, nah. Yeah. yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah, no, it's true. Jesus was called the lion of the tribe of Judah for a reason. He was a lion. Mm -hmm. Every godly man in scripture had hmm. what I call redeemed violence to him. Hmm. David, Paul, Peter, Samson, hmm. Samuel. I mean, look through the entire Abraham. Abraham. Abraham went to war. 
with yeah. 300 men and whooped five kings. 318 men. Yeah, yeah they did. That's true. You know, so Jesus took what we call a koboko back in Nigeria, right? Yeah. A horse, a horse whip yeah. into a temple yeah. and cleared a San. The Sanhedrin council was 72 members. Wow. Think about it. He was a carpenter. So his biceps must have been on a level, right? Carried a cross up a hill. Was tied to the cross. Took 39 lashes all night long. And died by crying out with a loud voice. Moses fought a man and beat him to death with his bare hands. So these weren't men who were docile and, and simpish. Mm. God took their natural, God-given masculine drive yeah. and focused it in a positive direction by his spirit. Yeah. And these yeah. religions understand that. Yeah. The fastest growing religion in the UK, we're told, is Islam. Mm. And the fastest growing faction of it is radical Islam. And yeah. white men, Caucasian men, yeah. are going to Syria mm -hmm. because someone offered them a chance to die. Yeah. Just think about that. But we have created a Christian faith that is devoid of any form of risk. So it's been so nicely packaged. Our worship sessions are so nicely packaged. The music is nicely packaged. Your highest goal is to become an usher or choir leader, maybe an assistant pastor. So you two can be when miss me with that, man. <laughs> so talking, all I'm hearing is the word of Christ. Lay down your life. I'm hearing really risk like life-changing, life-altering choices, decisions to make. Yet, somehow, in translation over the years, it has turned from laying on life to... Uh, yeah, okay. We're going to answer one question. I think we're going to... So, as I was saying, sorry, we're going to actually continue this Women Hurt in November. I think it'd be good for us to kind of maybe dissect the practicalities of what can we do, as this question is even asking now. How can we write or hide God's word in our heart so that there's an element of practicality to what's being discussed tonight that men can actually begin their journey of wholeness and actually yeah. become healed men who can become good fathers and raise good sons so i'm, I'm gonna hand over this question to you sir how can we write slash hide god's words on our hearts the first thing you need to understand is the word word there isn't talking about the bible okay <laughs> teach. The, the word of god is not the bible the bible is the word of god and i know people want to stone me get that man off your screen heresy hear me out jesus said you search the scriptures you then you think you find eternal life for the testify of me there are three greek words for the bible for, for word in the new testament real quick there's the word graphe which is the bible a holy scriptures hegios graphe uh the root word for the word graph you get a graph by you plot two or three points and you connect the dots. So that's mm -hmm. what the Bible is. You took two, three, four scriptures, you get a picture, you connect the dots. It's the lowest level of the word of God. It's the base level. The graphe. Mm -hmm. The Rema, people say, oh, the Rema is the highest level. No, Rema is level two. Mm -hmm. The Rema is a breathed word. What Rema means wet. A wet word, a word with breath on it. It means what God is saying right now. It's not just what he said before, not what he wrote what is what he's uttering right now. 
The mm-hmm. highest level of the word of God is the word logos. From which you get the word logical or logy, biology, sociology. It means the concept of the word of God is not just the graphe, not just what he wrote in scripture. It's mm-hmm. not just the rema, what he says prophetically. It's the concept of who he is. So when the word was made flesh, it means the idea of God, the concept of God, the yeah. study of God, the understanding of God, God's nature, character, and functional essence became flesh. Yeah. That is the word David is referring to when he says, write it on my heart. Mm-hmm. In essence, I need to imprint the right consciousness of who God is. Come on. How he functions. And Come most on. importantly, how he sees me and relates to me Come on, on my subconscious heart. Mm-hmm. I can't do that outside intimate relationship with him. My first son's name is Kadesh. Kadesh gets written on his heart. So my words are written on his heart, not because I write him a letter. And I started doing something. When my sons were born, I wrote, I opened an email address for both of them. And I've been oh. sending them emails since they were born. Wow. When they're 18, I'm going to give them the email account and say, these are my love letters to you. This wow. is how I thought of you over the first 18 years of your life. So the day each of them was born, I wrote an email. and I've been, I started writing to my second son before he was born, while he was in the womb. Nah. That on its own cannot write on his heart. Nah. When he reads those letters, it is the relationship and the experiences he has had with me over the years that will give meaning to those emails. Mm. So hmm. I, if you write me a text and I know you well, subconsciously I read it in your voice. Mm-hmm. It takes an encounter, a, a consistent encounter-driven relationship with God for his logos to be written on our hearts. His mm. presence helps. His word helps. Prophetic atmospheres help. But ultimately, it is our connection with him that opens us up. And so we must engineer. That's why you have a prayer life, a quiet time. Not so that you can mark the register, I pray today. No. So you can give your heart to God in vulnerability long enough for him to write something else today. Mm-hmm. And over time, that relationship with God, and it starts with seeing it modeled with another person. Mm-hmm. So as pastors, as spiritual leaders, our highest job is to model a relationship with God. Not to preach, not to teach. People should look at us and say, that's what it looks like that's to good. walk with God. That's good. And it creates an environment for them to do the same. So that's the summary of it. It takes intentional connection with God. Mm-hmm. And the start is usually someone else creating the atmosphere for you. The first time you encounter God, it's usually on the back of somebody else's altar. A preacher, a minister, a father or mother in the home. Someone needs, like Moses and Joshua, someone needs to bring you into their own encounter with God. That you can stay there and say, okay, this God. So Elisha says, the Lord God of Elijah, where are you? Elisha saw Elijah connect with God and said, okay, that God I saw my boss or my leader, my mentor connect with, where are you in my own personal space? And that's why Satan's attacking the institution of manhood in the body of Christ. Not just the perfect pastor, because the pastor is perfect, obviously. He's a man of God. He doesn't drink. He doesn't eat. He doesn't fart. You know, he's just perfect. But where are the other non-perfect men, the, the, the brothers and the elder brothers and elder uncles, the mm. men who we don't deify, who we see a walk with God so real that we feel if that guy mm-hmm. can walk with God at that level, I too can.
Powerful. And then finally, you the scriptures then seal the deal. The mm -hmm. scriptures are like the emails I'm writing now. But yeah. it is the relationship with me that will give those emails meaning in the future. Powerful. Yeah, as you're speaking, it's, 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 like, it's like John 1, 14, it talks about, the, you know, the word became flesh and we beheld its glory, full of grace and truth. It had to become something tangible and it had to be seen, aka modeled. And then we actually had to now extract from it grace and truth in its fullness. So essentially, like, the, 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 the written on the heart is an actual encounter that is tangible or, 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 or actually marks us. That now in the process where we actually now begin to, you know, recite the confessions, i.e. the scriptures and so forth and whatnot as well, which which tells us, and we see it in the Bible, every man has to have his own encounter with God then basically, continuously as well. Amazing. I hope that answered your question, bro. Um, can we not have these talks on Zoom? To, yes, we're going to look into that forum um trap star <laughs> we're gonna look into that literally we do normally have that after our sessions but um yeah we'll go we'll announce that for that but sir i want to thank you so much you have truly put some wisdom i'm sure the guys have been blessed if you've been blessed guys show some love in the comments let's show our appreciation i look forward to continuing this conversation november god willing and we're actually going to be able to unpack this, guys, on a more practical level. But I encourage you, rewatch this session, make notes. Most importantly, allow the Holy Spirit who abides in you to really teach you all things and be humble enough to take heed to whatever he highlights and corrects and Amen. seek the counsel. You know, I've known the Holy Spirit to be faithful, um, Rev. You know, and there's times where, by the grace of God, through his Spirit, there are things I'm sure you shared tonight where, by God's grace, he has probably nudged our hearts, but in our mm -hmm. pride and ignorance, we have chosen to ignore. And I only want to encourage you men, let's be sensitive to the promptings of the spirit. You know, God is with us and he is for us and will lead us and guide Amen. us. Truth that will set us free. But yes, sir, thank you so much once can again. I, can I take yes, can I take 30 seconds and pray for this yes, for the men? Because yes, I just sir. feel strongly in my opinion, in my heart that. Somebody in the comment section is feeling like, okay, so you've caught me open on a table and you want to walk away. Okay. I don't know who that person is, but I just heard you in the spirit. You're like, I feel like I've been operated on and the surgeon's about to leave the room with me opened up. So let's pray real quick. Yeah. Father, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth should speak. Out of the abundance of my journey, I've spoken tonight. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. This is my cup. It's not textbook material this is the journey that i've walked with you and so i can say like peter such as i have i give unto you to my brothers my younger brothers especially hmm. the ones listening who are coming up the same journey that i've just described father i pray for healing right now positive trauma that writes a new reality on their hearts Yes, Lord. Give him a community, a supportive community, a band of brothers yeah. and mentors. Mm. But above all, my healing began when you stepped out of eternity into time as real. Not as an idea, but as a father. Father, be their father. Let my father be the father of my younger brothers. 
expose the deep-seated wounds and engineer environments for full and complete healing. To every man I say to you on behalf of a holy God, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Yes. I created you in my image, I fashioned you in my likeness, I preordained you from the foundations of time. I love you and you are enough for me, thus saith the Lord. Father, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, sir. You are welcome. Powerful, man. Amen. Thank you. My love to you, Queen. Oh, yes. 100%, sir. And to you and your family as well. Thank you. Love, grace, and peace, and abundance, and a fruitful, productive, and restful week for you too, sir. I I receive that. When, when you said the restful, my first reaction was like, "Yeah, right." But I receive yeah. it in Jesus' name. <laughs> I receive it in Jesus' name. in Jesus' name. Literally. Amen. Amen. So, man, them next week Monday we've got a new series. We're going to be doing. Um, we're going to be looking at the what's black in the history of Christianity. We're going to be looking at what it means to be a black man in the Christian faith, all the way back to Genesis to the present time. I'm going to be joined by Omar Taki, a minister at Ark Church. It's going to be phenomenal. So if I was you, make sure you're here next week at 7.30. Promo is coming out this week. But most importantly, I pray that you was blessed tonight. I pray you was encouraged. I pray your heart was open to hair. I pray that you guys were really going to allow these words to sink deep. Rewatch the video, guys. Go back and watch it. Make notes. For ask the Holy Spirit for point of application. I tell you guys all the time, you will never, ever grow beyond what you don't apply. I want to encourage you guys. Don't be hearers tonight. Let's be doers. Seek the guidance, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to act upon what was said tonight in Jesus' name. My name is Ayakuno Duni. Well, thank you for coming to Men's Monday. And I'll see y'all next week at 7.30. Blessings. Peace.